Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Welcome to Transporter Lock, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sabriel, and I am joined, as I am nearly every week, by Ken. Hey, Ken. Sabriel, I have just one question for you this week. Uh-huh. Will you take my hand? <laughs> I'm sorry, Ken. I'm going to have to decline. <laughs> and yeah, this week we are talking about episode 15 of season one, Will You Take My Hand? Also known as the season finale. Yeah. Oh, I'm not looking forward to this next X amount of months. Insert X is time. No, no, but let's start on a high note because we're really looking forward to the next 40 minutes of chatting about a great season uh, finale. This is true. This is true. And quick thoughts like, before we even divulge what happened. What did you think? Like, What did you walk away from? Whew. Well, I certainly want to talk to you about whether or not this was a satisfying ending to the whole Mirror Universe Lorca plot. Because and also the whole Klingon War, because a lot of threads got tied up here, and I'm I want to share those thoughts with you and hear your own, but only after we go into some of the weeds. What about you? Yeah, I, I am three quarters positive. I mean, on the spectrum of mostly positive, there were a few things I was like, ah, uh, but overall, I loved it. Should we dive in? Sure. Yeah, let's go. We no longer do a scene by scene breakdown, but sure, let's start with uh, whatever is on the top of your mind. Yeah, top of my mind is actually the very beginning. Every episode of Star Trek Discovery begins with last time on Discovery. And this time it did the same thing. However, for the first time we had Laurel saying this and in Klingon or Klingonese. Wait, Laurel said last time on Star Trek? Yeah, she did it in Klingon. She's last time on Star Trek Discovery. How are they saying? However, that would be in Klingon. She opened with it. I didn't notice that at all. How did I miss that? I don't know. <laughs> it jumped out at me right away. I hit play and all of a sudden, like, ah, ah, discovery. <laughs> like, what? Wow, cool. I Maybe I just didn't correlate what I was hearing with what I was seeing. Yeah, possibly. Uh, I thought that was just an interesting twist. I'm like, what does this mean? Is, it next, is the next season going to be like from the Klingon advantage? But yeah, I didn't that, think that at all. But I was like, wondering what that meant for us this coming in the next 45 minutes. And that is quite meta. That is interesting. Almost as if she broke the fourth wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, there was that. Uh, so I guess you missed that. So. <laughs> uh, then, George Ao was a huge part of this episode. I loved that. I felt like for the one of the first times ever, really, I was seeing a true mirror universe version of a character we know. Because when I saw Captain George Yu at the beginning of the season and then Emperor George Yu, it's like, yeah, it's the same actor, but they're so different in their personality, in their role, etc., but seeing Emperor George Yu in the role of Captain George Yu, I really felt like I was seeing if Captain George Yu was evil, this is what she would be like. Yeah, we rarely get to see an extended version of these characters. Usually whenever we've seen Mirror Universe characters in the past, it's been for like a one-off or whatever. We actually got to just kind of explore who this person actually is. And dang, she is vile and terrible. Right, and it's only when she is put in comparable circumstances, when you're comparing captain to captain, that you really see the differences. 
yeah, because I mean, she can play the part. She's like, do the thing, do the thing. I'm captain. Like she can do that. But yeah, you're right. When we get those little moments, or when when in um, when things start mattering, things begin to matter, and uh, that's when she really stands out. Like the little things to me that really stood out was well, <laughs> her interaction with the bridge crew. They're like, all right, we're scanning this thing. She's like, knock it off. Only tell me when things are scanning us or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't uh, she didn't make much of an effort to really hide her oh. vile personality. Like, don't call it the Kronos homeworld. Animals don't have homes. Call it either Kronos or the enemy planet. Yeah. Yeah, Captain Georgiou would never say that. Not at all. I mean, some of the crew are all excited. Like, oh my god, we get to serve under her. And all of a sudden, whoa, she is a terrible person. All these things that we heard. <laughs> Why would Saru and Michael be, like, love her? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting that Everybody just seemed to go along with it. Although, Burnham tried to fake her out on the bridge, but to expose her with these minute, trivial questions. Yeah, like right away. Okay, we don't know exactly how much time has passed since uh, the, uh, the episode that we just watched and this one. It kind of made us feel like it was, you know, within the same minute, but apparently it wasn't. So some small amount of time has passed since the last episode, but I don't think it's that much. And yeah, all of a sudden she's sitting here like, <laughs> like trying to expose her as the person she is not. And that they jumped to right doing that right away in the episode felt a little weird to me. Like maybe we missed something or something was cut. Really, I didn't really feel like that. Uh, maybe it was watching a second time. Like the way the way it was just immediately. Like why is she trying to expose her? I was like, oh wait, last episode she had no idea this was going to happen. So do you think it was wise or foolish of Burnham to even be attempting to do that? You know, it's hard to say even in retrospect because we don't know what her end game really would have been if she did expose her like okay now what <laughs> and i don't know if she succeeded in exposing her or not because i don't know malaysia and i don't know if the specific geographic region they mentioned even has beaches yeah i don't know if it's my lack of experience in malaysian geography or if i mean michael seems satisfied with those forced answers yeah but the way she even added that detail like yes such lovely beaches there and the captain is like let's go for a walk <laughs> <laughs> then we see her her interrogating Laurel, um <laughs> with her own terran style oh my gosh i have not seen that level of torture since captain archer yeah no no that was cruel that was rough and michael even agreed <laughs> and it didn't seem to serve any purpose other than because Georgiou was enjoying it. Yeah, no, there was nothing to it at all. She, like, if you're you're in that situation, you know the information you get from torturing someone isn't going to be useful at all. So she was doing it just to do it. There was no reason for it. Yeah, but the fact that she even knew to put up the force field and to bar Burnham from taking it down <laughs> or going in, I mean, she anticipated this. She knew exactly how to torture a person. This is not the first time she's done something like this. No, not at all. Wow. I was going to say, she is an absolutely terrible person, yet some small part of me is like, yeah, I really like her. <laughs> she was doing it in service to the Federation's goals. She was charged to accomplish this mission, and she's going about it any way she can. Yeah, yeah. So is she really the bad person here, as much as we want to say she is? I mean, just because she enjoys it, does the, is that what makes her a bad person, or the fact that she did it in the first place? Uh, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Because the Federation may not have been enjoying that they gave her this mission, but they still did it because they saw it as a necessity. Mm -hmm. Still, yeah, all of the above. She's a terrible person because she, the integrity of the star, she's, she's very antithesis of 
Starfleet and the Federation. How about that? Well, desperate times call for desperate measures. Apparently, yeah. That's <laughs> what so Starfleet agreed. I don't feel like a lot happened on the ship itself that was very interesting. It was more like assembling the party. And I thought it really kicked off not only when they were fighting Laurel, if you can call it fighting, but also when they went to recruit Voke, a.k.a. Ash Tyler. And there he is, tying a little sailor knot, and he knows Klingon language, he knows Voke's memories, and he approves the request to join the away mission. Yeah, she kept referring to him as it and that thing. Like, it's not useful to either of us, the Federation or the Klingons. Like, wow. And Michael's like, I know he is still a person. <laughs> well, that's interesting because in my own vocabulary, I use it to refer to an animal whose gender is not known. And once you know the gender, you can then refer to the dog or the cow or a, a bull as he or she or whatever. In this case, she knew Ash's gender. But that was irrelevant because she saw it as an animal. She saw him as an animal because Klingons are animals to her. And so they don't deserve even acknowledgement of any gender. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, I think you'll see that a lot of languages don't attribute gender to animals in that way either. So, I mean, it's an English thing. But a lot of languages, they just refer to animals as it or maybe a female it or male it. Now, see, unfortunately, I know only one language. So I didn't know that about animals in other languages. Yeah, and it's not universal, it's just some. And now that I push myself on it, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. <laughs> well, how many languages do you know? Uh, are you a Star Wars droid now? What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> There's a droid in, was it? Uh, episode 5, is how many languages do you speak? Uh, <laughs> bocce? Do you speak bocce? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> nice little sidetrack there, sorry. Um, anyway. <laughs> ah, sidetrack. I get it. But, anyway. uh, yeah, so the way she treats folk here is, uh, you know, I thought that was interesting, and again shows her her, her what she feels, how she feels about Klingons and basically any non-human race. The three of them then go into the what do you call that room where all the admirals tend to talk? Is it a conference? It, it room? It almost seems like it's either a conference room or if it's like an enterprise situation room. Yeah. Or uh, I don't think it's it wouldn't be the ready room, but it's more like a situation room or um, was observation lounge is what I was on. TNG, but it's not, there's no windows. Given that it's a round table with a map in the middle, I like situation rooms. So let's go with that. Yeah. Okay, situation room. So they go in the situation room, and what did you think of the names <laughs> on the globe? I just love the scene, the whole, the whole, the scene in the situation room, but the, the names on the globe, but it was cool. We got to see like some Klingon lore, like, like Kang's Summit, and, uh, which is a famous name in Star Trek lore, or Klingon lore, and various names of rivers and mountains. I thought that was cool. Now, I know you tend to have quite the eye for detail. Was there anything there you picked up on that is a specific callback to TOS or anything else we might know? Uh, Kang was the one who mostly most jumped out at me, but it's also the one they focused on the most. A lot of the words were kept just off camera or not long enough to really get a really good look unless you pause. And some po folks did that online. I thought it was kind of neat, but there are some rivers that we've never heard of or various things. It was also a very busy map, so it's kind of hard to get a really good look, but... Seeing like Kang or even maybe things that are added to the lore that just sounded very Klingon. It's very cool because we don't really know much about Kronos other than a moon crashes into it eventually. <laughs> right. Although, <laughs> wait, a moon crashed into Kronos? Yeah, Kronos lost its moon in Star Trek Six. I thought the moon exploded. I don't think it collided. Oh, okay, whatever. Okay, well, uh, however you want to look at it. <laughs> it, was, it was a mining accident. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, was, <laughs> I, I don't think it... I was wondering if it was the same Kang we all know and love from, you know, TOS, DS9, etc. Because 
he is still alive and he shouldn't already have a mountain yeah. named after him. I suspect um, Kang and Klingon lore be someone famous. And you know how we name people after folks who had in the past or whatnot. So. But also, if Kang is only the first name and instead of last names they use House of, then Kang could be like Mike. Mike <laughs> yeah. Summit. Mike House of this, Mike House of that. That's how you distinguish it. They're all just Mike. I mean, honestly, yeah, that very well could be it. I am Mike of. Right. How intimidating. I'm Joey House of Blur, and you murdered my father. Joey. Joey seriously. House of Johnson. <laughs> right. I, I want to make an observation that is skipping ahead a little bit, but right. th- the mission that they are ex- examining this map with Voke's unique knowledge to determine where to land, etc. The mission is precipitated on the drone being able to fly in and out of inactive volcanoes. And I think Voke mm-hmm. knew that. Shouldn't he also have known that those volcanoes were active? Uh, possibly. It depends on... You know, I don't... I couldn't tell you much about volcanic activity on Earth. So it could be just a... Uh, what's it? Uh, wave, la- layman's... Is that the right word? A layman's uh, knowledge of volca- volcanoes on the planet? I suppose that's true, uh, because an active volcano is not necessarily one that is actively erupting and spewing lava. Like, off the top of my head, Mount St. Helens in Washington State, which exploded when you and I were kids, I guess given that it's exploded, it's considered active, but it's not exploding at this exact moment. Does that make it dormant, or can it still explode again? think it's yeah see we could, we could just look at wikipedia but yeah it, it still could go again anytime it's just so i think it's active someone from washington could let us know or- you know who would be able to answer this is sarek because he's a vulcanologist hi <laughs> <laughs> you are correct sir yes that's right <laughs> and then george you had one last addition to the landing party I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. Uh, all of a sudden, we have Tilly opens the door. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God, it's Georgia. Oh, my God, this is great. And basically right there and now, uh, Georgia was hitting on her. <laughs> oh, is that what was happening? It's very subtle. But yeah, she was, she was hitting on her. She's like, it's like, oh, it's it's Killy. We subjugated the Betazoids. We wiped out Mentaka 3. And it's like, your hair does not, this does not do you. But she's playing with her hair a little bit. She's like, this does not do you justice. And Tilly's like, I know. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that was flirtatious. I mean, it reminds me of the attendant. Was that her name? Kira Norris? Yeah. Intendant. Yeah. Intendant. intendant that, yeah. Thank you. Yes. That makes more sense. It sort of reminded me about how, you know, she was quite flexible in her interests. <laughs> I had not seen prior evidence of George U doing that, but then, of course, we do see more of it later in this episode. Everyone in the mirror universe is very fluid in their sexuality, or very, very uh, open with their sexuality. That's a good way to put it, yes. <laughs> Tilly, when she realizes that it's the Emperor, <laughs> not Captain, I love she does this little half-hearted salute. Karen salute like she's supposed to, and <laughs> Michael's like, no. Don't, no, <laughs> don't Michael's just- like, don't do that. <laughs> But but also uh, even more interesting, like the next scene, like here they're like, um, all right, here's our plan. You do the thing. We're over here. Everyone go get some scrubs and like bag, you know, like crappy clothes, and we're gonna go 
out there. And after Zhao had made the comment about her curly hair and how it doesn't do anything for her, uh, Tilly goes and straightens it. I was wondering both why she straightened it and when she found the time to straighten it. I was wondering more about the time to straighten it, but maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, it's they can synthesize clothing and get a mirror image of them. Maybe they have a quick straighteners. I mean, it takes time, but... Automatic hair straightener. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could probably do it in five, ten minutes. And why do you think she did that? Do you <laughs> think she was trying to hit on Emperor Georgiou? No, no, I don't think that at all. I think it either could have been in a response of like, oh, this person like totally just called me out on <laughs> my hair and I'm just trying to you know, like fit in. You know, I don't know exactly what, but I don't know exactly what, but she wasn't trying to flirt or anything like that back. Maybe she was just so intimidated that she didn't want to give the emperor another reason to call her out. I think that's more it. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> what now? She was also great because it showed her uh, Tilly's before the straightening part when they're still in the situation room, her her like unsure how to react to the emperor and she like curls out of the way and goes to Tilly like or goes to Michael and like what's going on why is she yeah. talking to me like this <laughs> and and she also had this great line like I'm not the same Tilly as in your universe and George says don't be so sure why do you think <laughs> Georgiou wanted Tilly on the away mission she wanted a pan oh, is that the right word pansy uh just someone to hold the bomb a patsy and yeah patsy okay yeah huh. But why Tilly? Why not, you know, uh, some other cadet or a red shirt? She might recognize the name. She knows Tilly. Or, you know what? Maybe she knows that what Tilly has deep inside. The potential for genocide? <laughs> yes. Or just, <laughs> she might know. There's multiple ways you could look at it. She might know Tilly's like, okay, I'll do whatever thing. Or, you know, she knows that Tilly is cool under pressure, even though she always seems nervous. Or maybe it's because Mirror. Tilly was, of course, Killy, the slaughterer of millions, and Georgiou wants to set Tilly down that same path. If she is the one who delivers the bomb, then she has already committed her first genocide. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a very possibility. So that is just one more way that Georgiou can recreate the mirror universe here, not only by slaughtering the Klingons, but by turning people evil. Yeah. One person at a time. When Georgiou was... was um talking to Tilly about the things that did, like subject getting the Betazoids and wiped out Mintaka 3. We actually talked about Mintaka 3 last week. That was the planet with the uh, duck blind episode. Oh, neat. Yeah, so like we accidentally brought it up, like, like, you know, just by chance. And all of a sudden, there it is. Wait, is that the one from the episode of TNG or the one from Insurrection? The episode. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, so we just accidentally brought it up. <laughs> and there it is again. Yeah. Although subjugating a race that primitive shouldn't have been very hard. I know, right? <laughs> she also said, Georgiou, that she needed something to trade down on the outpost. And she said, I'm sure Lorca found something interesting in this universe. So I really thought we were going to see them go into that weapons room that we saw way back in episodes know, like 3 right? and 4. And we presume that they did, that that's where they got those weapons that they traded. But I really wanted to see her go in there and get something that we hadn't seen before. I wanted to see that room one more time. Yeah, I, I honestly thought we were going to cut away to there real quick. And no, it wasn't needed. And maybe they recorded something or filmed something. But I think it would have been neat to be able to actually get a really good look at his um, his lair, Lorca's lair. I mean, sure, they find some Nausicaan weapons in there. But we know there's more stuff in there. Is that what they were trading? Nausicaan weapons? Yeah, that's what they came down with. They, they 
showed they when they came down to the planet and talked to the arms dealer. They're like, "Here's some Nostalgian weapons." Blah 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 blah. Just like that. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> pew 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 pew. Well, in Orion, that means stuff. <laughs> just I'm like, sure it does. How fun to see Orions again. Yeah, I like the Orions. I mean, they're terrible people as well. But maybe I'm getting noticing a trend here. But uh, <laughs> I liked the idea that they are almost exactly the same in the mirror universe. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, nothing <laughs> changed. Little changed about them at all. But we got to see um, male Orions that were not huge and beefy. That's true. Which is something we've never seen before. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the only live-action Star Trek we've seen Orions in, not counting the Kelvin Universe movies, would be the original series and Enterprise. Is that right? Yep. Because I don't, I don't remember them in TNG, DS9, or Voyager. No, they didn't bring in the Greenskins. Oh, <laughs> don't be racist. <laughs> I mean, they didn't bring in the... You sound like an Andorian calling Andorian, us pink skins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they they get down to the planet and they, again, have a great scene with Tilly where she's like, oh. boy, all this arms dealing sure is making me hungry. <laughs> I love her. Oh, 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 yeah. Before that scene, she comes up to find the arms dealer and arms dealer, she's like, oh, get out of here, Federation. And Tilly pulls a gun to her forehead or her cheek and she's... <laughs> what did she say? She said something like, insert her, talking about the Emperor, insert her again and your nose will be able to smell from the back of your head. I'm like, tell you. <laughs> it's kind of like, I'll cut off your tongue and use it to lick my boots. Yeah. Like, Holy crap, Tilly. You are good at this and you don't realize it. <laughs> I mean, I can understand her doing that when she's in character and costume. Uh-huh. As I, I speak as somebody who has done a lot of theater, costume does a lot for your psychological ability to insert yourself into a different persona. But Tilly, granted she was not in her cadet uniform, she was also not in her Captain Killy outfit either. <laughs> so the fact that she is now being able to manifest that personality on demand is really impressive. Yeah, she is Captain Material right there, I think. <laughs> well, I just hope that she continues to use it for good and that it doesn't start manifesting that's itself inappropriately. Uh, pretty soon she's going to bring the legend of Killy back. No! <laughs> no! We've had enough of that character. No. We got none of that character. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, we as viewers can never get enough of Captain Killy, oh, okay. but yeah. the Prime Universe does not need a Captain Killy. For real. <laughs> a sincere, authentic Killy. Eh, she couldn't be that great. She lost to a bunch of Klingons. That's right. Oh, my gosh. The ISS Discovery is just dust scattered in the solar winds. <laughs> Super disappointing. Uh, but yeah, so Killy went ahead, and even though she's this total badass on the planet, she almost vomits at the idea of eating space whale. Yeah, I mean, it was a rare, it was an endangered species, and so <laughs> she was enjoying it. That is the same animal that we saw Harry Mudd riding in earlier this season, yep. right? Yep, Gormagander. I wonder if Star Trek Four they could have used a space whale in place of an Earth whale to communicate with that probe. Well, the probe wanted to specifically speak to humpback whales for some reason. That's true, and I guess there are no space humpback whales. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what did you think about the Orion outpost? Oh, I loved this Orion Orion outpost. Well, it had this small streets you see in movies of like in Tokyo or China or Korea, these small shops. It's it, very stereotypical. How about stereotypical movie Asia or Chinatown where we had these uh, small stalls and small shops all over serving food and wares and whatnot. And uh, it's also a very big theme in cyberpunk stuff which i'm huge into right now uh which is actually all based in the same asia type thing uh which is problematic in its own ways but anyway that's a different conversation <laughs> but i love this orion outpost and i thought it was a really cool scene i i enjoyed exploring that small little area 
I was surprised that the Klingons would allow such an outpost on their planet. I was too, and they said there's an Orion outpost. I was like, wow. But you know what? Klingons can have decent dealings with others too, and I mean, they they apparently are okay with the, the Orions, because maybe the Orions fight back, or maybe they're, I don't want to say allies, but acquainted. I mean, it is an embassy after all, so they must have some good relation there. It doesn't seem typical for races or nations who are aggressors to allow embassies on their land. Now, for example, the United States of America. We have a lot of embassies from other countries. They're all here, but we don't have, like, bases. There are no military installations, even though we have them in other countries. So I guess that isn't a direct comparison because this was an Orion outpost, not an Orion military installation, and the Klingons would never allow somebody else's arms and soldiers to be on their planet. But an outpost, an embassy? Okay, I, I guess that makes sense, if you would call it that. And you know what? It did seem kind of run down as well. Oh, yes, very much so. This is not a place that is well-maintained, and that is by design. Yeah, so maybe the Klingons are like, oh, whatever, here you go. <laughs> so for those who are paying attention, like you do, Sabriel, there was a lot going on in the background here that ties into other episodes of Star Trek. What did you spot? Uh, as they're walking through the, the uh, stalls, there are some city alpha eels uh, being cooked up. The ones that Khan used. Neat. Yep, that was cool. When Ash and... Tyler or Michael are having their conversation at the very end, uh, before he goes off and runs away into the, into the uh, sunset with Laurel. In the background, <laughs> uh, you know how I don't know, maybe I don't know if you've seen these beer tents. Uh, at sporting at event, uh, events or sporting events or whatever like that. There was one for Romulan ale in the background, and you could see the Romulan symbol on the tent. Cool. And and um, let's see. What else do I have here? Oh, oh, there was a trill in the tattoo parlor. Oh, that's and neat. some people are hoping, yeah, people are hoping that it is maybe a Dax. Because huh. there was a Dax symbiont, uh, symbiont who was uh, in that era. And uh, yeah, those are my three big ones, I think. Nice. Yeah, those are, yeah, there was more, but yeah. I was very confused at first when the landing party decided to make a little side trek into a sex shop. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved the scene. I thought that was cool, but... It almost seems like Georgia was just like, yeah, I need to get some action. <laughs> here's some money. You guys go ahead and do whatever you, whatever you want. Yeah, she's like, you know what? We're not really in a rush here. Let's kill some time. I kind of felt like this was similar to the the sidetrack to the casino planet in Star Wars The Last Jedi, which I think I think a lot of people, including myself, feel like that was the weakest part of the movie. Like, it was just unnecessarily complicated and didn't tie sufficiently well into the main plot and yet it's happening and they eventually do tie it all back in but it almost seems more by accident where Tilly finds out about the probe and Georgiou after getting her way with two different Orions finds out (laughs) where the shrine is Oh, <laughs> I love this scene as well. Which part of the scene do you want to talk about? Uh, we had Vulcan Burnham gambling. We had Georgiou getting her thing on. And we had let's... Tilly just being super awkward as she does. Yeah, let's go with uh, the right when they walked into the uh, house of ill repute. And uh, so, so Michael and and Ash Tyler leave. And so it's just Tilly and, and Georgia left. And the two Orions come up and it's like, hey, how's it going? And, and I mean... We know exactly from this point on what uh, she's after. And she's like, takes them and she's like, bring your friend too to about the Orion woman. And Tilly's like, oh, no, no, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's very nice of you. But <laughs> she's all like, no, they're for me. 
you're just sit here and watch this box. And just Tilly's Tilly's awkwardness of it, I loved. Well, that's one thing he's very good at is being awkward. Uh huh. And then, but, uh, and she got to continue that awkwardness by hanging out with um, Opie Taylor's brother, uh, Clark, Clark, Clark. I'm sorry, you referring um, to the actor? Yeah, uh, Clark what? Howard. Is that his name? Cliff Howard. Cliff Howard. Is Cliff Howard famous? Should I know this name? Yeah, he's been on Star Trek before. He's the brother to Ron Howard, uh, Opie Taylor. Um, he's been on Star Trek uh, three times now, four times. He was uh, he was um, this character, this Orion uh, guy who was sniffing volcanic uh, ash. <laughs> he was on Enterprise as a Ferengi, and he was on oh, the TNG or DS Nine or something. And then he was the five year old was it Baylock on original series in the First Federation, that huge ship that was made up of like light bulbs. And he had Lurch as an assistant. Oh, so this is Clint Howard. Clint uh, Howard, see. there we go. Born in 1959, he is one of only five actors to appear in both the original series and Star Trek Enterprise. And he's also been on Deep Space Nine and Discovery, as you've said. Yeah, Clint Howard, that's it. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that he was so diverse. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you can see him as almost just a little baby in the Corbomite maneuver. Yeah, that's it. Wow! Cool. And that's the episode where we had we had um, Lurch, who uh, from from the Adams family was in there as uh, was it Rock R O K as an android, and then uh, in T N G, man who played Lurch in the Adams family movies, uh, played was Mr. On Home T N G. Yep, Mr. Home. I just Mr. found Home? out Mr. that Home. that was the same person playing yeah. uh, Loxana Troy's assistant. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> I I had no idea that I w- should know who that pot seller was. That's pretty cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I recognized him. I, and his face, I couldn't think of his name. Like, obviously, I couldn't even do it here. But I recognized him. I was like, God, oh, this guy. I know him. <laughs> I was surprised that he was able to pressure Tilly into taking a whiff because he said, get her out of here. And I'm surprised she didn't just leave and wait outside for Georgiou to be done her business. Yeah, I don't think she knew how long she's going to be waiting or something. I don't know. She's like, or but you know, the awkward in social situation. She's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, did it knock her out. You have to understand that Tilly has never done anything like this before. She's a total straight edge. <laughs> I would be the same reaction. <laughs> <laughs> you would? I've never done any uh, any kind of drugs. Oh, me neither. Not, not even. Yeah, so I would be... So I have no idea if Tilly's response was reasonable or not. I don't think you generally pass out from those things. But the fact that she then called Burnham and said, I'm really high right now. Yeah. She wakes up and the the Orion, the Clint Clint Howard, the Orion is trying to cut the uh, thing open, the box open that she's carrying. And she's like, she she wakes up and says, shame on you. (laughs) And his response is, you were asleep and I'm Orion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No excuse. If if they're not awake, they can't give consent to having their briefcase <laughs> cut open. My God. I just love her reaction. Just shame on you. <laughs> and that's when she opens it and all of a sudden, like, oh, God, it's a bomb. I got to call Michael. Yell out loud in the middle of this establishment. Like, it's a hydro hey, we got bomb. a hydro bomb. Yeah. And, and Which Discovery just carries in their arsenal and can just devastate an entire planet. Yeah, she started to explain why. She said, we keep them on the Discovery, too. And then Georgiou, like, shuts her up. That comes out of nowhere and shuts her up. 
I don't think I'd ever seen Tilly being physically assaulted before. I don't think I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, generally she's not put in harm's way, except for that one time where she was on Discovery's sister ship being chased by a giant pterograde. But still, when Georgiou laid a hand on her, I was like, oh, now she's gone too far. This is evil. Now we know she's a terrible person. <laughs> and we also had a rather touching scene with Voke and Burnham. Oh, 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 no, 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 the tattoo parlor. I really liked how well Voke got into the gambling. He really seemed to be enjoying himself. Not only that he was able to speak his own language, Klingon, but that he seemed to catch the Klingons off guard who were expecting him to just be another Federation human. Uh-huh. But then the scene took a different turn. And he and Burnham had a touching moment. And Burnham, despite all the harsh words she had for Tyler just last week, really opened up and shared some of her own vulnerability with this guy. Yeah, we finally learned what happened to Michael's parents. Oh my god, and it was so tragic. And that it was her own doing by accident. I mean, it wasn't her doing it, but she blames herself. I can totally see how she can blame herself. It's totally not her fault. Yeah, yeah. But I always thought that her parents were lost in a bomb, just like those Vulcan terrorists exploded when she was a kid. For some reason, I thought that was two different bombs that she had lived through. I don't think that was actually canon, though. I think that was just head canon. I think we, we because the way they were showing the information at the beginning of the series, I think we conflated the two. And we didn't know better. Well, I remember at the very beginning of Transporter Lock, we thought that she had been bombed by the Klingons as a kid, and that was something that we just made up and we found out later it was Vulcans. Yeah, yeah. Now, you were one of the few people who was actually thinking about Burnham and her feelings last week. How do you feel about the fact that she opened up to vote? Was that realistic? I thought so. She was having a hard time being around all those Klingons for various reasons. And, you know, she still does feel feelings for him inside. Like, I have understand that she doesn't want to act on that. I mean, she does, she does but... uh She's very conflicted, but to be able to open up to him like that, I think it, it felt natural to me. It didn't feel forced or awkward. Uh, she was having a hard time, and she laid it out right there. No, it felt, it felt fine to me. If somebody had just tried to physically assault me, choke me, and kill me, I don't know that I could ever then turn to him and say, by the way, this is why I feel so threatened right now. Here's how my parents died. I mean, that could be you, but it's it just, just going through a lot right now. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Maybe any port in a storm. Yeah, that takes some kind of solace in the moment. I mean, here she's forced to work with this guy once again, someone she did not want to be around ever again. Yeah. Or, you know, I guess I don't... I'm I'm pushing that emotion out of her. I wouldn't want to work with her again. Him again. Right. No, I don't blame you. Not at all. Yeah. But I liked, I liked it. I thought, like, one, you know, we got to finally answer that question for us. And, you know, maybe she saw that he's... You know, at the scene where Georgiou and her are talking to him on the ship... Maybe she saw some more of him in instead of Vogue. I think something can like just trigger that way. Does it mean she wants to be with him? Does it mean she wants to hang out with him? But she could maybe see the humanity in him again. Well, also, when he was in the Rebel base in the Mirror Universe and he saw Vogue, he attacked him. He totally lost control. Mm-hmm. Whereas here on the Klingon homeworld, he was very much in control. Yes, he was using Vogue's language and memories, but he was using them consistently to Federation end. So I think he demonstrated that he had a lot more fine-tuning over <laughs> the two personas, that the surgery <laughs> that Lorel had performed was effective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, speaking of, when they went to go speak to him in the, in the in his quarters, he was tying a knot, like a uh, sailing knot, sailing knot. 
And I thought, oh no, this is going to come up later. Because, you know, <laughs> I mean, you see him playing with a rope and knot, and he's like, this is the knot, or this kind of knot can, or can't be moved, or something like that. And I, oh no, this is going to come up later in a bad way. But it didn't. It didn't. It didn't become like a weapon in a board game of Clue or something. Yeah. Yeah, which was what I was basically expecting. No, he gave it to Michael as a memento at the end of this episode. Yeah, something that can't be broken. Nice. So that was cool. But shortly after the tattoo parlor scene, the three threads sort of all come together because Burnham and Tyler find out where the shrine is. Georgiou finds out where the shrine is. Tilly finds out that the drone is a bomb and tells Burnham. And they, everybody except Georgiou, goes back up to Discovery because they apparently have time to do that. Yeah, I was like, well, you can... Okay, you have space Skype, but okay. <laughs> and they did exactly, Sabriel, what you said they would do last week, which is tell Cornwell this isn't what we do, we're Starfleet, and Cornwell <laughs> buys it. Yep. <laughs> oh my god, so predictable. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, we knew the Kronos was still going to be there, so something had to happen, too. Well, for a second there, we saw Kronos blowing up, and I, yeah. I said out oh. loud, please let this be a simulation. And right then it said, simulation end. Actually, it said, um, end simulation. Simulation. They spelled it wrong, actually. Are you sure? Because it was written backward. <laughs> yeah. If you go check it out, someone took the picture and mirrored it, and you can read exactly. It's, they spelled it incorrectly. <laughs> That's weird. How did that get by them? I don't know. Simulation. Hmm. So yeah, they called up Cornwell, not the entire Admiral Council, but just Cornwell, and had it out with her right there on the bridge. Yeah, and Cornwell, that was interesting. He's like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. You got a plan? Go for it. <laughs> well, I think a couple of things happened here that makes it a little bit more believable. Was, was that A, the entire Discovery crew stood up to her, yeah. and she realized that we might have another mutiny here. B, was that whereas Burnham has always been the underdog, she has actually gained the loyalty and trust of an entire crew that Cornwell trusts. C, Burnham, whose parents were killed by Klingons. Okay, you can see why she wanted to fire on the Klingons in the first episode, but now she's trying to do just the opposite. She's threatening mutiny to save the Klingons. And that is a powerful statement, more so than her having some personal vendetta against the entire race. Yeah, uh, we have an entire mirror of what happened in the first uh in the opening episodes that's right you previously pointed out the symmetry between Lorca and georgiou coming and going but you're right is that the first episode started with a mutiny the last episode st ended with a mutiny this season is a perfect mirror everything has turned 180 where now burnham is threatening a mutiny to save the klingons it's remarkable yeah she's she's and this time she has a mutiny I mean, back then it was a mutiny all herself, and this time it's a mutiny of uh, the crew. Right. The little things. I mean, I mean, and last time, oh, what did I write down? Basically, she wants to, uh, beginning of the season, she wanted to fire first into hell with Starfleet ideals, and this time it's like, no, Starfleet ideals first. She turned around completely. Right. And so the mirror isn't just the theme for the universes that they visited, it's also the theme for the entire season. And I think Burnham partly found her humanity in the mirror universe by becoming her mirror self in that long captain's log that she had about how every day she spends in the mirror universe erodes her humanity a little bit more and she has to hold on to it. She has to keep it. And how Voke lost his humanity, or rather Tyler did, 
due to the Vok id that was implanted into him, or again, vice versa. This whole season is about finding your humanity, and sometimes that means going to the deepest, darkest place you can find, whether it is your own personality or an entirely different universe. And hopefully you come back out of it more human than you were before. Yeah, very aptly put. Ah, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, they stop the bomb by going down to the planet. Again, I'm a little weirded out that they had the time to go up to Discovery, talk to Cornwell, and then go back down to the planet, which they could have done in the first place. I guess they just wanted to have Cornwell's permission to do it. Yeah, this is where this is the weakest part of the episode for me. I concur. Yeah, we have we had we found time to go speak to Cornwell. Okay, then obviously we had time to go speak to Paraclingons. Okay, because we'll still hop in in a moment here, and then we had time to find this. I mean, they can maybe yeah, they couldn't even beam into the shrine; they had to walk to it because of some uh, plot reasons, and. To get there, and Zhao hasn't done anything yet. I don't know what she was waiting for. The weakest part for me was how they resolved this conflict between Burnham yeah. and Georgiou. I, especially after seeing Georgiou kick Laurel's butt, I thought there was going to be some sort of physical confrontation. You had predicted that Georgiou would die. I had predicted that Burnham would kill her. And none of those things happened. I mean, especially after Georgiou had just said, of course I'm not your Georgiou. I'm a completely different person. <laughs> then... QED, it follows that Burnham is an entirely different person. And yet, that's not true, because Burnham said, you're going to have to watch me die again. And George just just kind of rolled her eyes. She's like, fine, here's the bomb. Yeah, that's the only part I giggled at here. <laughs> it's just like, Michael's like, you have to go through me. And she pulls the gun uh, to her chest, and George kind of rolls her, rolls her eyes and is like, oh, whatever, here. And she hands her the iPod of Doom, or the iPad of Doom. <laughs> I really thought that Burnham wanted to destroy the Klingons, not just to save Burnham and all the guilt. And I mean, even Georgiou said, well, it was worth a try. That's not really why I was doing this. I don't think she's doing it just because the Federation told her to. I think she's doing it because what you and I said last week is that you can subjugate a race only once unless you go to another universe. She loves <laughs> slaughter. She loves genocide. She loves being emperor. And this is one way to do it. And she gave all that up rather than kill Burnham. Yeah. I mean, there must have been something in that freedom that guaranteed if she doesn't do it, she can do X thing. Well, that's the other thing, is we now have a Terran Emperor wandering around the Prime Universe. We know this is going to come back to bite us. I mean, it sure feels like it. If it doesn't, I, I, I would be surprised if we never see her again. But it, does, but it also doesn't demand that we do. But I, th I, I would be surprised if she doesn't, but I don't think it's required. True. Oh, absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, but we've already seen Harry Mudd twice in one season. Yeah. Too bad we didn't see him on the planet, but he would have been just mucking it up, and he would have been a third plot point. That we oh, my God. Need. He would totally fit in in that Orion outpost, but yeah, we don't need exactly. that complication. <laughs> Maybe that was his space whale that they were eating. It could be. No, no, no. Didn't they say that? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yeah, the whole um, idea of, okay, here you go, Laurel. You can have the bomb, and you can take control of uh, the Klingon Empire. I have issues with that. What do you think about Laurel having that bomb? I mean... Yeah, she's got power, but how does she prove it? I mean, I mean, someone maybe can verify there's a bomb there. I guess that doesn't. That's not a whole stretch, but it felt weird for her to just go into the. I wasn't even the Klingon high chambers. I don't know where this, uh, this uh, cave of councils, this council cave. I don't know. It was a really weird place, the meeting place too. It felt really weird for her to be. I can see it, but it felt weird and felt very, very, very forced. Vogue was like, 
or no, Ash is like, folk always believed that you, uh, I was just your torchbearer. Here you go. I'm going to bring you rise to power. And it, you know how it ended Beast Space Nine when, and Worf was like, power is thrust upon great people, whatever, whatever the quote is. And that did not feel like that, that epic moment did not feel the same here at all. Like there was no like, yeah, Lorel's in charge for me. Wow, that was a word dump that tried to express my disappointment that it did not feel as good. My disappointment is that holding that bomb is not a legitimate claim to power. It seems very dishonorable, and also, it's a bluff, because there's no way Lorel is going to blow up her home planet. I don't think her threat of, let's unify the houses or I'll destroy all the houses, is something that she would ever actually do. Yeah, unless she had a planet somewhere else that she could rule from, I don't, I agree with you. And also, Lorel was one of the instigators of this war against the humans in the first place. Why would the humans then trust her to call off the war? I mean, Carmel spent some time with her, and they seemed, I don't want to say, not, uh, respected each other on some manner. But the war against the Federation was meant to unify the houses. Yeah, and then it turned into something that was not. Do you think that Lorel has given up on that method of unifying the houses? That she's really going to say, let's end this war that we are with? practically winning oh and she she did because there was no war anymore it was just outright it was war to the federation but it wasn't war to the klingons it was just a bunch of uh, hooligans messing around and just killing things just to kill it like a bunch of punks in high school which is why i'm surprised that the klingon ships that were so close to earth withdrew yeah i i, I was kind of surprised like why don't they just do it bombing around and then turn around right no i felt like the incentive to end the war was minimal yeah it, it, that Again, that's kind of the weak part. The, the Lorel and Ash part was, kind of ended up being the weakest part of the whole series for me. So overall, what did you think about... I mean, I know there's still the cliffhanger that we need to get to, but overall, what did you think of this as a season finale? I Overall, like I mentioned, I loved it. I thought it was... I thought it got it wrapped up a lot of the, the loose ends nicely. There was... The, just the weakest part was Lorel's part in the whole thing. We barely saw her at all this last half of the season, and all of a sudden she's leader. Uh, we didn't get to see any leadership qualities in her that made us made us want to go like, yeah, good for her. She got the thing. But overall, I liked it. I liked seeing Kronos in a place that wasn't just the the uh, council chambers. We ne- we've barely ever seen Kronos outside of that. We got to see uh, Saru actually standing up to Georgia early on. Which was cool. We got to see him being awesome. We got to see Tilly being awesome. We got to see Michael getting a pardon and getting her rank back. We got to see. We got to see Starfleet headquarters. Oh yeah, we forgot about that little part where Burnham does the speech at the end. I didn't think much about the speech, but I did like seeing each of the characters get the recognition, including Culber. Yeah, you see, Culber gets the medal of honor. We got every, the entire crew, got, or at least the bridge crew. I'm assuming everybody got a medal of honor. I felt like Detmer played the same role here that Chewbacca did at, at the end of episode four, where, yeah, she's there, but she doesn't get a medal. Like, what the heck? <laughs> but didn't she have one? I thought they all did. They didn't call her out specifically. I don't know. Oh, then, but a lot of them had that same medal, even though the names weren't called. Okay. And also, even though they didn't mention Stamets' promotion, he did get one. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And we got to see... um Amanda Grayson. Yeah, we got to see Amanda Grayson, which I love. She had a really amazing dress on, too. It was like, oh, this is great. She's younger than I thought. This is before Spock. I mean, before we even see her, saw her on TOS. So, like, her age is... She's probably 30s, 40s. Yeah, but she looks almost like Burnham's sibling. See, I thought she felt much older. 
I really liked that Sarek gave Burnham her commission back. Yeah, I felt right. She did so much more than just be a specialist this past season, and I I would hate to see her continue to be a mutineer throughout the rest of the series. So I, the fact that she never asked to be recommissioned, that it was just given to her, you could really see the tears welling up in her eyes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it also uh, clarified some canon. People were very upset at the beginning of the season because, wait, it said in the original series we never had a mut- uh, mutineer in Star Trek or in Starfleet. And now all of a sudden her name was cleared, so technically they're correct. Ah, I never even thought of that. That's great. Yep. But now Saru and Burnham are both commander. You can only have one number one, though. You can have one number one, but we've had multiple captains on a ship before. What do you mean? Uh, in, in the movies, we had Captain Spock and Captain Kirk. Yeah, but only one of them was the captain of that ship at that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what is her role going to be on the Discovery? A science officer, uh, Saru said. Oh, okay. I mi- I totally missed that. Yep. And we got a reason why we don't have Spore Drive anymore. Maybe, because... Yeah, I still think Section 31 uses it. They did say that they don't want a human piloting it, and that's legitimate, because Sam has exposed himself to genetic engineering that is outlawed by the Federation. But that doesn't mean that yeah. in the next 150 years or so, they can't figure out how to pilot it by machine. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that they don't use it. We just never see it on the show. So we have a bit of a cliffhanger to address here. They're, well, first of all, they're headed to Vulcan to pick up their new captain. Who do we think that is? I think it's going to be someone we've never met before, unless it's um, somehow... No, because would, that would have been a surprise. I think it's going to be someone we don't know who it is yet. But we know it's not a Vulcan. And we know that because before Spock, no Vulcan had served in Starfleet. Or, excuse me, uh, in the, no Vulcan. Basically, Spock was the first Starfleet. Or no, what is it? Federation. But at this point, Spock is already in Starfleet. Yeah, so so I guess I guess you could uh I don't know, I don't think they ever said the first one, so or only one. So maybe they could stretch it that way. So I wonder who would be on Vulcan who is not themselves Vulcan and why they need to go get picked up. Uh any kind of well someone who's being a diplomat, uh or also playing the role of a diplomat, like Picard was off in that. Right. Uh and you know it's kind of a bummer that they're getting a new captain who's not Saru. I was ready to see Captain Saru. I don't think I would want to see that. No? I'm not sure who I do want to see Captain, but I don't think I want it to be Saru. And I'm glad it's not a Vulcan, though, because a Vulcan and Saru are both rather level-headed in most instances, and I think that would just be a little bit too much logic on the bridge. Yeah, so it's probably going to be human. But before they even make it to Vulcan, they have a little distress call that they need to answer. Yeah! Oh my god, I, this whole scene caught me totally off guard! And here was my line of thinking, like, oh, cool. I wonder who the new uh, captain is. And, oh, wait, of course, we've got a distress signal. Wait, no. And then uh, the communications guy's like, yeah, I'm trying trying to get the code. I'm getting the code here. And we see slowly pulling up on the screen and CC. And I'm like, oh. And then it's four digits. We know this four digits, this number. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That one. I'm like, no. Seven. <gasps> <laughs> And then all of a sudden they go out of warp and the communications officer is like, it's Captain Pike. And Michael, Michael is like, it's the Enterprise. And both her and Sarah, who's on the bridge right now, give each other this look. They know who's on there as well, not just Captain Pike. Right, because at this point, this is 10 years before Kirk's time and Spock served with 
Pike for 11 years, so he has to be aboard the Enterprise at this point. Yeah, he is there. And all of a sudden, we get the view of uh, coming up from above this view screen. Uh, they pan out. So we, we get that classic view of we keep seeing the camera come into the view screen from the outside. We get it backwards. We go outside and the Enterprise comes up from above the screen. The original series Enterprise comes out yes. of nowhere. And it looks a little bit different, but it looks very dang close. And all of a sudden they close out with the original series music closer. And I'm, I went, I had this squeal of, ah! <laughs> and my partner upstairs is like, you okay down there? I had this obvious smile in her her question. <laughs> like, yes. And she could hear the TOS music from downstairs. <laughs> yeah, the entire original theme song by Alexander Courage, not just inspiring the Discovery theme, as we hear at the beginning of every episode, but actually playing in its full original entirety. Yeah, including the woman in the background going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> also, that call signal showing up on the communication array, I thought was such a ridiculous tease. I loved it, but the reason is, it only makes sense to people who are hardcore Star Trek fans whether or not they are such fans, it's going to be spelled out for them five seconds later when the Enterprise shows up on the view screen. But you had to keep us in suspense for those five seconds because the whole call signal wasn't up there. We know that all Starfleet ships begin with NCC and then 1-7. Okay, oh my god, we think we know what that is. And yeah, five seconds later we find out, yes it is. And I loved the way they did it, but it was so ridiculous that they w- manufactured five seconds of tension. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when I saw your reaction on Twitter or on my DMs, it sounded like you weren't, like you had this reserve feeling about it. And I asked you, like, what, why? What was wrong? Was your re- your reaction like, oh, for Pete's sake, you fan servicing ninnies? <laughs> Actually, my reaction was probably the opposite of anybody else who saw the show, or at least unique. When the original Enterprise showed up on the TV screen, I actually started crying. I did too. Not because I was excited, but because that was my dad's Enterprise. Oh. And this is the first Star Trek show to air since he passed away. And the fact that he didn't get to see his Enterprise, you know, like everybody has, you were my doctor. This was my doctor on Doctor Who because you're the one I started with. And that was what he started with back in the 60s, and he got me into Star Trek, and I feel like it's now come full circle. The last time a Star Trek episode had that effect on me was the very last 30 seconds of the very last episode of Enterprise. Oh, God. Which did the exact same thing of tying everybody in, tying all the series back in together. Yep. And, uh, you know, I watched that episode without my dad, too. He was still alive back then, but we weren't on great terms at the time, which was temporary. And just not being able to share these moments with my dad is... I love that the Enterprise is in this show. I think it's great. It is respectful of Star Trek lore. It plays service to the fans. I have no complaints about it. I'm looking forward to it. It's just, I wish he could be here is all. Yeah. Yeah. And how long until we know where this is going? Because somebody on Facebook, apparently with almost no authority, posted that Discovery is coming back in 2019, which you traced back to an off-the-cuff remark by one of the producers back in September. And then Lorca, Jason Isaacs, tweeted last night that Discovery is not coming back until 2020. I would not take anything Jason Isaacs says with any kind of grain of salt. He is a playful troll, not a mean troll. That's exactly what I said when I saw that tweet. I'm like, Lorca's such a troll. Because <laughs> I want the show to yeah. come back in September of 2018. I know, so do I. I don't think we're going to get it until next year. 
I mean, that seems to be the way of shows with Game of Thrones and Westworld, where they can take as long as they want between seasons. I want a more traditional season that, <laughs> as closely as possible, mirrors, no pun intended, the academic calendar goes from <laughs> September to May. I mean, that's that's what you get with serialized television. I mean, uh, traditional serialized television. But here, you know, we they can do things on their own time to get it right, how they feel they get it right. So, like, and same thing happened with Boardwalk Empire, too. There was a long time between some seasons, or even happened with Battlestar Galactica. Uh, there was a year and a half between season four, the first half of season four, and the last half of season four, something like that. Well, I certainly don't have to like it. Yeah, I don't have to like it, but yeah, it's kind of the way they do it, because they're not on the same time crunch. So do you think they're going to recast the cast of The Cage? Uh, not... <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to. Yeah, we're gonna get it. We're gonna. Get, I, I hope we see Pike from uh, the movies. I I can't ever remember his name, but I think you did. Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, he was in the core. I just remember that. <laughs> you know, right after this episode ended last night, my partner and I immediately started watching The Menagerie, which she had never seen before. Oh. And so we have Jeffrey Hunter as Christopher Pike. We have Majel Barrett as Number One. We have Leonard Nimoy as Spock, and this older guy is the doctor whose name I don't remember. And are they really going to recast every single one of those characters? We know we're not going to see Shatner. We're not going to see Kirk. That's already been established, but he's not on the enterprise at this point. He's on like the Farragut. I think so. And all those other actors and characters I just named, as far as Canon goes, were only ever in archival material that was shown in the menagerie. Uh-huh. So it would not be a huge stretch to recast them, but Spock, we could maybe get Zachary Quinto. <laughs> I mean, that'd be kind of cool. I don't think we will. But I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, or maybe you know what? Oh, we can't. The, the distress signal is we got to get Spock. His brain is somewhere. We can't find it. <laughs> we need your help. It's entirely possible that even though Spock is assigned to the Enterprise, he's not necessarily on it at this particular moment. He could be on shore leave. He could be on a diplomatic mission. He could be back at Starfleet doing remedial training. He could be the subject of a rescue mission, as you said. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. But you know what? You know what this means, though? We're going to get uh, Captain Pike and we're going to get uh, female number one. Yeah, that is that is exciting. I am really excited to see Captain Pike again. Because the actor, Jeffrey Hunter, he passed away back in the 60s, shortly after the cage was shot. Yeah, which is a bummer. Yeah, but I remember when the Voyager two-parter with the Equinox aired, and I don't remember the name of the captain of the Equinox or who played him. Ransom. But my, Ransom, that's right. My dad saw that, and he's like, oh, it's so nice that they brought him back. I'm like, brought who back? He's like, the guy who played Pike. I'm like, Dad, I don't think that's the same actor. He's like, are you sure? Because it sure looks like him. I'm like, Dad, Pike's been dead for 40 years. <laughs> My dad was always doing that, always saying, oh, these two actors look just the same. They must be the same person. I'm like, they don't look anything alike, and one of them's dead. <laughs> My God. Honestly. Oh, that's amazing. But anyway, so I think that's the end of this episode of Transporter Lock, unless we missed anything else. We will need to figure out what to do with Transporter Lock while Discovery's off the air. We'll have plenty of interviews and reviews to share with our faithful listeners. You can find them all, as always, at transporterlock.com, where you can also sign up for email notices of new episodes, or even email us or tweet at us with your ideas for what you'd like to hear or see on the show. We might take a few weeks off. I have some work travel coming up, as well as some family matters to deal with. But rest assured that Transporter Lock is not going off the air. We will be around, and we will be living long and prospering. Isn't that right, Sabriel? (laughs) 
live long and prosper. Uh, yes, yes, we will be doing that. We will be here. We will be back. Keep talking at us. We, I, we've had some folks appear to approach us on Twitter to BS, and that's been fun. So keep keep doing that. Yeah, keep those hailing frequencies open. We'll be here. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. 